Welcome to this edition of Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. The game must go on. That's what university presidents across the Big Ten decided recently about their football seasons. Initially, the Big Ten schools had voted against playing football in 2020 because of the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the risk involved. But in a unanimous vote, presidents of those schools changed their minds last week and agreed to a truncated eight-week, eight-game season that will begin the weekend of October 24th. Is this a good decision for the schools? Is this a good decision for the athletes? Or is it an example of universities putting money and other considerations ahead of safety? We are going to talk about this all hour, and we want to hear from you. Are you ready to cheer your favorite Big Ten team on the gridiron in October? Or do you think all of this makes no sense at all, given the things that are still going on with the pandemic and the things that are still going on on college campuses with COVID-19? In East Lansing, in Ann Arbor, each week we hear about more and more Uh, students being infected with COVID-19 and the way that the university is being called to try to deal with that. Should they be focusing on those issues rather than trying to get back to normal with sports? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, We can try to work you into the conversation that way. And joining me now to talk about this issue is Rick Christ. He is a former commissioner of the Mid-American Conference. He now consults Division I college athletic programs with the Dietz Sports Firm, which is headquartered here in Farmington Hills. Rick Christ, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, good morning. Yeah. So let's start with this. Uh, What's your reaction to the Big Ten and other college football conferences deciding to just go ahead and play the games. <laughs> I, I loved your intro, Stephen. I think it'll <laughs> all get solved in the next hour if, yeah. we, if we do our job. <laughs> That's well. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, you know, I think um, uh, you know, my sense is that the Big Ten decision and the process by which they got to it is really reflective of of these types of decisions that are playing out nationally that are playing out regionally and locally and just the the challenge and difficulty of of trying to chart a course Hmm. these days yeah so uh, for a lot of people they'll look at this and they'll say this is about money this is about big time sports money and they're not thinking about much else but talk about the financial implications of playing or not playing. It's a little more complicated than I think most people believe it is. Absolutely. I think uh, definitely more nuanced. And as it relates to major college sports, um, I think this sort of uh, uh, pulls back the curtain on really the, the hybrid nature of the handshake with the, with the athletes. Mm-hmm. And unlike pro sports, which is a collectively bargained for employment relationship Mm -hmm. or high school sports, which um, really uh, uh, notwithstanding sort of uh, uh, 
a lot of dynamics in high school. It's still an extracurricular activity, and the, the school board and governance is pretty straightforward. I think major college sports is its own deal, and and uh, so to to just say it's about the money, I think, is a little bit lazy, honestly. Um, when you when you break down the revenues on it. Um, uh, in in almost all cases across the country, you're you're really not having fans. If they are, it's limited. You're you're losing one of these significant revenue streams already in terms of football gate, football attendance. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so I think it's much more uh, about um, this part of higher ed and. Can you do it in a way that is um, is uh, reasonably uh, safe? And uh, and as you know, and as you mentioned, higher ed in opening up its campuses has um, has struggled to get that right, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's a work in progress. And um, and college sports and major college athletics is no different. I think. It was really instructive to me to see student athletes finding their voice, to see parents advocating, and um, so I, I don't think there's just one easy, convenient swipe as to what this is all about. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I want to get to callers, and of course, we've already got people who who, <laughs> who want to talk about this, but uh, I, I want to get your assessment of how safe this is. I mean, uh, football is, you know, by definition, a a contact sport. There's a lot of very close in interaction. Um, Do you believe as as a former commissioner that this can be done in a way that won't put kids at more risk uh, than they would have if they weren't playing football? Well, I think we're going to find out. I think for sure the months, uh, between August uh, 11th and September 13th for the Big Ten, it was really driven by, uh, by the medical protocols and the safety standards that they feel they now have in place, which is going to be daily testing, which is pretty stringent protocols with a positive test and a confirmed second test with positivity rates not only within the team, but within sort of the population around the team uh, and, uh, you know, relying on medical experts. But as you know, the, the science hasn't all been in one place on this. And I think, you know, to me, it would be a much different discussion if high schools weren't playing, Uh, but you've got 35 states in which high school football is occurring. Yeah, including Michigan. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and Michigan, you know, went back and forth on it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think 17 states start. You know, it was on, it was off. Now it's sort of back on again, and people have individual choice on this. And it's um, these are to me the the the, the trend lines and and. And for major college sports, it's been no different. These are really local um, decisions, which in many places have been politicized. I think it's very, um, uh, very personal in terms of where you end up on this. 
and it's elusive. You know, not only does the virus keep changing, but the, the science around it seems to um, not be delivered consistently. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I think people are trying to do their best with it. And uh, at least from a Big Ten perspective, the um, I think my sense was, Stephen, that people's back-to-campus protocols, at least with athletics, were pretty developed, but that the protocols around competing with each other had not really received the depth, and maybe the science hadn't been there either. The, the daily testing, I know, is a big, big step for the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. We'll work them into the conversation. Let's start with Andrew, who is in Ann Arbor. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, so I, I want to put this in context with like the rest of the, the campus. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's great that they're testing athletes daily, uh, but the, they're not testing uh, medical professionals daily. Uh, everything is voluntarily there. Uh, faculty is striking currently to get COVID protections. Uh, how does that fit in the context of like what priorities are, is the university doing when it looks like from the outside and even from inside that they're heavily prioritizing football and athletics and kind of leaving the rest of the university off the wayside. Yeah. Andrew, great question. Uh, one correction I would I would make is that uh, uh, the the strike I believe was settled last week between uh, graduate students and and the university and they're headed back to work, but they were striking in part because they were concerned about the protocols on campus for staff and faculty and and students. Uh, Rick Christ, talk about the ways in which you you on a college campus you balance those things. Uh, you you have you know tens of thousands of students in Ann Arbor and in East Lansing uh, and and uh, you know on the other Big Ten campuses. Um, uh, you know, I hear all the time right now from folks in Ann Arbor and East Lansing about how how little testing is going on and how hard it is to get tested, and yet they're going to test football players uh, every day, which, look, no one's arguing with that. That seems like the right thing to do if you're going to have, uh, have games uh, and have a season. Uh, but that balancing of the priorities between athletes uh, and and other students is something that I think uh, comes up a lot on college campuses, and this is kind of a glaring example of it. I, I think so. I, I'm not on the inside in terms of uh, the mechanics of the Big Ten's um, daily testing. Uh, much was made of our president <laughs> weighing in and mm-hmm. potentially helping in that effort. I don't know that that ever played out or not. But um, certainly sort of this mix between where the campus has autonomy, where there's a collective with the conference or even nationally, and then how that plays back out locally, I think is one of, um, one of the challenges that has ratcheted up, honestly, in terms of uh, sort of the 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 balance for major college athletics and you know even before covid Stephen and andrew um you know there there were there's issues like we yeah. without being trite 
you know, we in major college sports, we've got pre-existing conditions here <laughs> and it's in the courts and it's in the U S Congress and the state legislatures in sure. a way that's never been before. And I think, uh, the testing is probably, I know the presidents were very, um, intentional about not wanting to pull resources, uh, for essential workers, for healthcare workers, mm-hmm. faculty and staff. And, they feel they've gotten to the right place on it. Not being inside, I don't know. But but the bigger point is a fair point, and I think is an active point right yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, I, I know there was some concern about athletes, and some athletes in Ann Arbor, in fact, were involved with – uh, you know, efforts to to kind of organize around this question of of how football might unfold this this season and how you know protocols might be put into place to to deal with with student health. And there, were, I, I, what I heard was that the concern was that that would connect with these other uh, mm-hmm. pre existing issues that you were talking about. This idea that uh, maybe uh, college athletes might might be organized at some point and and demand that they be treated in some way as uh, uh, as employees. D- does restarting the season give more heft and power to that movement among among players? If they're going to go back to the field, might they go back to these bigger questions in a more uh, in a more demonstrable way? I, I think so but maybe not always with the outcomes that certain people want. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, it was instructive to me that the conference that felt the most heat was the one that shut it down first. Uh, right. <laughs> and, and the pushback <laughs> was about, we want to play. So, um, so I think the... The the bigger point is a really a a new age I feel in a deeper way of um, a voice for athletes student athletes for their parents um, and you know being close to it both with the schools I work with with family in the business, um, younger brothers, head football coach at Wisconsin. Right, right. You know, a lot of this, like, I think the coaches carry a lot of it and they really, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a supporter. I believe in, in the enterprise, even with its challenges. Uh, but it, it's probably not, um, just enough to, to lean on the coaches here. There really needs to be, uh, structural commitment in a way deeper than the NCA has provided to this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's go to Jose in Livonia. Is Jose? Hey, welcome good to morning. Hey. hey, thank you. Mm-hmm. I I'll start off by saying that I did I played college football and high school football in in Nebraska. Uh-huh. So I've been able to see and experience a little bit of of what it's like on a college campus, especially when and I was grateful and thankful enough to be able to go to a smaller school. I didn't go to one of these big 10 schools or a D1 school. So um, on that level, I, I have known plenty of, of friends and athletes that have played there and also in the NFL, um, which leads me to think about, especially when we're talking about the safety of the students and the student athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it, I can't help but be a little bit skeptical 
because, like previous callers stated, that there's been a lot of pre-existing conditions with sports and college sports and football in general. I know that there's a lot of people out there that, especially with the knowledge that we know now about brain injury, mm-hmm. I myself have suffered from multiple concussions and was just thrown back out on the field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, you know, you see kids get injured or get hurt and they just give them a cortisone shot, throw them back on the field. Students having drug and alcohol issues, problems with their academics and not going to class, getting in trouble, and they turn a blind eye and throw them back on the field. And so I think that, uh, I think you said this is, again, raising the curtain or pulling back the curtain on a much broader issue and, um, and a bigger, deeper problem, and, and I think it all comes down to money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many people depend on the money generated from these programs and the sports. I mean, we're talking about athletic training. We're talking about conditioning. I'm a coach as well. I'm a personal uh, personal trainer. I'm a wrestling coach. Um, and for 16 years, and so again, this is now people like me who now I don't have a wrestling program. I don't have kids to train. You know, they, people are cutting back, and right. you know, so it's it's affecting so many different levels of society so, and of the economic structure. So, Jose, let me ask you, as you know, somebody who played college sports, college football, if you were a player today, if you were a student today, would you feel comfortable going back to? To playing again it would depend on the size of the school it would depend i mean again it's so complicated it would depend on the again the measures being taken you know for sanitation what are we talking about mm-hmm. um you know are there daily tests are there you know what, what's act i think it just depends on the, the situation i know there's a lot of smaller schools throughout the country that are participating they have been playing but you see some of the bigger schools have been playing and and i don't think that we're ever going to be able to keep ourselves in a bubble because there's again there's always been risks there's yeah. flu there's all sure. sort of, i mean you talk you want to talk about staff infection inside of a locker room yeah <laughs> you know sure. the amount of things that it's filth that you know anybody who's been in a locker room knows yeah. um you know what can what can happen and horror stories of, of things like that so mm. as far as me being personally um you know i'm 20 years removed from almost 20 years removed from playing so I mean, you know, I'm I'm from a different generation. I think where you know we could we were taught and told to use your elbows sticking out, you know, pop it back in and get out on the field. Go back, throwing right. up, you're going out. You're you know, it's about tough. I remember, you know, being in the weight room with 103 degree fever, throwing up from whatever I had, and I got a coach yelling at me to get back in the squat rack. Yeah, wow, you Jose, know, I really. I really appreciate the call and and your sharing uh, your experiences. Uh, Rick Christ, you were just talking about the pre-existing conditions mm-hmm. in college sports. Jose, I think uh, was really was really giving us some good examples of that. Absolutely, and I think um, again illustrative of how personal uh, these decisions are, and also uh, I do I do firmly believe and you know, the, the work at least that um, I've been able to do through deep sports and staying in the space, it's in the courts, it's in Congress, there's a reset occurring here. And that should all be to the good. But we'll see. Mm. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Rick Christ, uh, former commissioner of the Mid-American Conference, uh, now a consultant with Deets Sports. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation about the return of Big Ten football. 
college sports in general. We're going to talk with the vice chair of Northwestern University's Department of Preventative Medicine about what is going on from a health perspective here. We want to continue to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET delivers trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you have joined us. We're talking this hour about the return of Big Ten football, which is set to open up at the end of October with an abbreviated season that will see an abbreviated schedule, but they hope at least all the excitement that attends big-time college sports and, of course, all the money that flows as well. We want to hear from you this hour what your reaction is to this idea of the Big Ten playing football this season, even as we see an explosion of COVID COVID cases on our college campuses here in the state of Michigan, both in East Lansing and in Ann Arbor. Uh, Real problems uh, that are popping up uh, because of the things that the universities are doing or not doing to try to prevent the spread. I want to welcome another voice to the conversation before we get back to your calls. Dr. Mercedes Carnathon is the vice chair of Northwestern University's Department of Preventive Medicine and a professor of epidemiology and pulmonary and critical care. Dr. Carnathon, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, Let's start with your reaction to Big Ten football coming back yeah. next month, including there at Northwestern University. Yes, yes. Obviously, I'm um, at a place with a vested interest in that decision. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, uh, I felt nothing but disappointment, I, I have to say. Mm. Um, and I'll start this with, you know, I am a college football fan. I very much look forward to this time of year. Um, however, as we entered into the fall, you know, over the summer, I thought to myself, there's no way that this can safely be done. And that was based on early reports when teams were allowed to return to campus and the number of positive cases that were popping up in teams and part of team workouts even during the summer. Mm -hmm. And then when the early evidence was coming in that returns to colleges weren't necessarily safe for students, it really underscored that point. So I was initially extremely pleased to hear that both the Pac-12 and the Big Ten realized that football wouldn't be safe Mm -hmm. and that they would prioritize the health of the athletes. So when that decision was reversed, and I will admit I was not surprised that it was reversed, um, due to financial reasons, due to expectations of players and, and pressure from multiple sides, um, I was very disappointed. Um, I had hoped that the Big Ten would remain a, a moral leader here in choosing to protect the health of athletes over prioritizing playing uh, football. So, mm. disappointed. Yeah. Uh, I am somebody who looks at the sport of football and uh, sees the, the, the close contact that 
all of the players have with all of the other players and thinks that there isn't a way to do mm-hmm. this safely, that that given the, 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 the way that COVID transmits between human beings, that this is just something that you, you could not come up with a way to do safely. You're a doctor, you're an epidemiologist. Do you look at the sport and see the same thing? I do. I do. Um, and, you know, and, and I'll give the background. I love sports. I am a fan of sports. I had a brief stint as a sprinter in college. And when I thought uh, last spring about the types of sports that could be safe during this pandemic, the idea of playing football never crossed my mind. Because as you point out, this is a contact sport of the highest order. Now I will admit that, you know, basketball is also a contact sport and basketball has risks because it's played indoors in humid, hot arenas. Um, But You know, a basketball team is a lot smaller than a football team. And the ability to create or mimic the bubble that the NBA was able to put together for their basketball league isn't possible on the scale of a football team. You know, there are at least 100 people involved on any team when you factor in the players, the coaches, the trainers. You know, the, the, the team is too large for there not to be breaches in protocol. You know, even if we were able to uh, offer our collegiate athletes a, um, I guess, a platinum experience of putting them up in a five-star hotel on a resort and protecting them, what they can't do that the NBA can do is play multiple games in a week in order to shorten the season. What they can't do is stop traveling because, you know, you've got to travel to get to these different games. You've got risk coming in from every area of the country. And one thing we have seen throughout the course of this pandemic is that the epicenter is shifting. It's shifting rapidly. And you've got players coming from all over the country. So, no, I didn't see a way at all for this to be a safe endeavor. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. It's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, I, I, w- I want to talk a little about what's going on on Northwestern's campus. Uh, here in Michigan, we've got two Big Ten universities, one in Ann Arbor, one in East Lansing. And each day, really, there are headlines coming out uh, from each campus about how much the spread among students is increasing uh, despite the things that the, the university is doing. What, what, what's it look like in uh, Evanston uh, these days yeah. with school restarting? Well, I think one of the ironies here that struck me was that I think it was around two weeks ago, Northwestern rescinded its decision to bring all four classes back to campus. I think based on the observations of what was going on in some of the southeastern schools with them opening and having to rapidly shut, and even right across the border for us in Indiana at Notre Dame, that they had to pull back and go to remote classes after about a week despite all of the precautions. Um, Northwestern uh, prioritized the health of its students, the health of its staff and faculty by choosing not to allow the full four Um, four levels of uh, uh, students to come back to campus. Mm -hmm. And then a week and a half later, we 
support the return of Big Ten football. That, to me, just seemed like such a contradiction Mm. um, that we know we cannot protect the students, but there's a certain proportion of the student body whose lives we are willing to risk to get them out there playing football. Mm. And I struggle with this as well because of the optics of this. Now, there, there were criticisms early on that when testing capabilities were scarce that so many tests went to the NBA players. And there were criticisms about that because ordinary people couldn't get tests. Now, when I hear the testing program that the Big Ten has put into place in order to monitor the health of its student-athletes, I think it's outstanding. I mean, the goal, that is, when I I say not the gold standard, but the platinum standard, I think that is the best-case scenario. However, if we cannot afford to do that for our students, then I think restricting it to doing it just for our student-athletes uh, that presents a, a little bit of a discomfort for me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do think that they, they deserve protection. I do think that if we wanted to test how this type of um, testing, uh, broad testing program, both surveillance and regular monitoring works, yes, we choose a subset and we move forward. And it is a high-risk subset. It's worth doing. However, we've decided that protecting the health of some of our students is a lower priority than all of our students. Mm -hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's go to Emily Downriver. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I was actually just going to talk, um, speak on what the the doctor spoke on about the testing capability. Mm -hmm. I um, I think it's completely unfair, and, and I think unfair is the wrong word, but almost ridiculous that the Big Ten gets the, the the access to the testing that our frontline workers don't have, the grocers mm-hmm. and the, the people that were out there making sure that we survived the lockdown don't have access to. But people out there playing football have access to that. And I'm a football fan, but <laughs> I still think that that's just the word's almost appalling, yeah. The how it's just, it's unfair. I mean, the people that we counted on to survive when we were locked down can't go get a COVID test every day. Sure, sure. Uh, Emily, and I, think, seem right. I think that's a, a very similar reaction to what a, a lot of people are having right now. And, and again, it's it's the comparative issue as much as anything else, right, that, that, that you have so many people who are not able to get what they need right now in the middle of the pandemic, and that when we want to and when we think it's important enough, uh, we can make sure that, that people get tested every day. Why can't we be doing that for, for other folks? Emily, I really, really appreciate the call and the, the comments. Let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the show. When the Big Ten announced that they would not have a fall sports season, I was very proud of the conference. I was especially proud of the two presidents, from Michigan, both of whom are trained in the medical disciplines that are most important to uh, to learn about um, uh, this disease. The decision to have football disappoints me. Uh, it's placing the interest of the important interest, I admit, of money above the health of student athletes and other people on campus. Mm. 
And as much as we might not like to think about it, there's an unfortunate racial aspect to this decision. Mm. Most of the people who play football in the Big Ten are black student athletes. Most of the people who write the checks pay for not just football, but because football pays for everything else mm-hmm. in the athletic program, pay for the programs are not black. And so we are willing to sacrifice the health, short, medium, and long term of black student athletes and student athletes in football generally for the amusement and pleasure of people who are white. Yeah. And we're not going to be willing to pay the downstream cost associated with having a positive coronavirus episode. And as we've gone through this plague, we have learned that there are downstream costs. Indeed, we should know from history. You know, it was only a few years ago we learned that there were people coming down with mysterious ailments that later were traced to the fact that a half century or more ago they had had polio. Mm-hmm. I am disappointed in the conference that I have always been proud of. I attended your competitor in this conference. I, I think the better university. <laughs> but on this question, I thought the, the Big Ten was the better conference. Yeah. And now I am disappointed. Yeah, Ed, uh, really appreciate the call and, and absolutely uh, agree with your analysis of this. Uh Dr. Carnathan, the money aspect, the yeah. racial disparities that are here, these are some of the things that I think as we get closer to the debut of the season, as the season goes on, I think they will become bigger issues and they will be the optics of this, yeah. I think. You know, and that's what I kept returning to, the optics of this. I think as um, the caller pointed out, the majority of college football athletes are black. Mm-hmm. One thing we know for certain about this pandemic is that it has had a disproportionate impact on the black community with much higher rates of severe COVID requiring hospitalizations and higher rates of death. Uh, this is also borne out in other minority communities as well, Native Americans, Latinx communities, and certain Asian ethnic groups. And, you know, this is a real problem. And the, and the optics of this, when I, when I thought about it, reminded me of the scene from Gladiator when he says, when he yells out, are you entertained yet? Mm-hmm. And so we're asking these athletes to put their lives on the line, to put the lives of their loved ones on the line, because you know, some of these individuals are going to see their parents, and their parents are of an age where contracting COVID could lead to very severe consequences. They're going to see these loved ones who are also disproportionately burdened with the underlying conditions such as obesity, mm-hmm. diabetes, pre-existing heart disease that we know lend themselves to adverse outcomes. And so I was very proud, just as the caller said, that both the Big Ten and the Pac-12, um, where I also received my education, mm-hmm. um, made the decision not to play. I, I saw that as the conferences choosing instead to value the health of the players, particularly since they've been disproportionately impacted by the virus. Mm. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Carnathan. And we want to continue to hear from you about the return of Big Ten football. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Mark and Redford will get to you. We've got some Twitter and Facebook comments we want to inject in the conversation as well. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Dr. Mercedes Carnathan, Vice Fit Chair of Northwestern University's Department of Preventive Medicine and a professor of epidemiology and pulmonary and critical care. We're talking about the return of Big Ten football slated for late October, an abbreviated late season after the conference had announced earlier this year that it would not Old fall sports. Uh, they reversed course and said that the games will go on. What do you think about that judgment? Is that putting the student athletes at unnecessary risk? Is it putting other people at unnecessary risk? And how does that compare to the way that colleges in the Big Ten and universities have reopened for students who don't play sports? Uh, here in the state of Michigan, our two Big Ten campuses have had real problems with their reopenings in terms of the spread of COVID-19 in dorms and classrooms and other places. Uh, does it make sense to add football to that mix, uh, even if you are introducing protocols that will try to keep those athletes safe. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. Uh, Stina on Twitter says, uh, short-sighted and unnecessary caving into bullying and special interest. I think she's referring there to uh, the president, among other people, who really got after the Big Ten uh, for not holding the season, and then they changed their minds. Uh, Dan on Twitter says, if the dollars involved weren't so high, this would be more convincing. This is the first result from Googling Big Ten football television contract. Uh, the Big Ten network, which signed a media rights deal with Fox Sports for more than $1 billion and promises to pay the network an estimated $250 million per season, is a considerable portion of the Big Ten's annual revenue. USA reported USA Today reported the conference made nearly $759 million uh, in 2018. Let's go to Mark in Redford. Mark, welcome to the program. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. So I'm a high school athletic official, and I, I did baseball mm -hmm. in the past, but this season, of course, was lost. And to tell you the truth, I don't see how much has changed you know, for football season in terms of this uh, pandemic, which is ongoing. And my take on it is that um, a lot of these parents, when I'm hearing from my associates that do football, a lot of these parents are saying is that this is the last year of eligibility for my son, mm -hmm. and this is an opportunity for him to be viewed by the, uh, the scouts you know, for the next level. And that very well might be part of it as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, it, it's true the money aspect is there, but uh, uh, public safety and public health is first and foremost. 
in that book. Yeah, well, it should be, Mark, and and I appreciate the call uh, and and the comments. Uh, this balance mm-hmm. between the things that we want, uh, the things that we want to happen, and the things that we need to do. Uh, Dr. Carnathon yeah. seemed to be uh, there's just a real tension right now. We we want so badly for life right. uh, to be normal, and I, I just fear that uh, we're not we're not being smart about it in a lot of ways. No, you know, I, and I and I I really do empathize with those families and those players who are at a turning point in their career, where they do need to be seen by scouts to play at the next level where this has implications for their future. However, where this became a particularly acute problem is when some conferences chose to go back, whereas others did not. Mm -hmm. Now, had there been a universal decision from the top, something unifying that I would have hoped that the NCAA could have supported, then no one would have played, and scouts would have been in a position of reviewing tapes or doing private workouts based on prior development. Mm -hmm. And certainly, this was going to result in the possibility of some missed opportunities for athletes who were still developing. However, had everyone taken a pause and had everyone been given the opportunity to potentially extend their eligibility, having lost this season, then we could at least find ourselves on equal footing when it came to making the next uh, step and the next decision. But, you know, to see parents of collegiate football players online fighting to play, um, I had heard about potential lawsuits to try to push to get their children back onto the field at the collegiate level. Mm -hmm. You know, I really struggle with this because these are the same families that are coming from communities where the burden of disease is high. Mm -hmm. And I, I recognize and understand that there is no no-risk situation, that with everything we do, we are going to assume some degree of risk. And going forward right now during a pandemic does require that people shoulder risk, the essential workers shoulder risk, um, the teachers who are teaching in some of our schools that are going in session, they are shouldering risk, mm-hmm. transportation workers. However, you know, the, the, there has to be an adequate risk-to-benefit ratio. To me, the risks of getting an education, the risks of receiving medical care, um, sorry, the benefits, the mm-hmm. benefits of receiving an education, the benefits of receiving medical care outweigh the risks when precautions are taken. But where this falls apart for me for collegiate football is that the risks can't be properly managed in a contact sport where you're rolling around and hitting people, yeah. and the benefits are largely to the institutions who are getting the money. And to some extent, the players, you're, you're correct, but had we universally not made the, made the decision not to move forward, then players would be on equal footing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also wonder if you can talk some about what you think we ought to be doing going forward. Football is not the only big-time college sport. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, the other seasons are coming up pretty quickly. Basketball will be next. Uh uh, what should we be doing on college campuses or what should the NCAA be doing uh, yeah. to, to prepare for yet the, the same question that we've had to sure. face uh, at this point? 
And, you know, I, I think where this becomes most acute are the money-making sports, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, I, I'm sure a, a lot of money was lost when the big dance was canceled last spring. Mm-hmm. Um, so basketball is quickly upon us. I think practices probably start in November. I think based on the decision we've seen with regard to football and its risks, I think there's a high probability that they will play basketball for the same financial reasons um, and using the same justification. The testing program needs to keep up. Um, There needs to be external, in my opinion, external oversight of this testing program and the resulting positive cases that emerge from it. So by the same token that an independent evaluator makes a decision about a return to the field following a concussion, Mm -hmm. an independent evaluator needs to clear a player following a COVID infection. And Screening needs to happen after an infection. The reports of myocarditis, among which is an inflammation of the heart muscle, mm-hmm. uh, following COVID infections, is a significant and very real concern. We've had one death in a Division three athlete, um, and his family is devastated, and rightly so, um, after suffering COVID. And so there needs to be screening of these athletes going forward um, at regular intervals. And if an athlete has evidence of inflammation in the heart and myocarditis, um, he should not be permitted to return to the field. Mm. So, so also give us a sense of what you think we ought to be doing on college campuses yeah. uh, to get students back mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to full time, you know, which is maybe a should be a higher priority, I guess. Yeah, uh, in my <laughs> opinion, it is a higher priority. I mean, yeah. trying to figure out a way to make that work is a higher priority. And that's because education buys access to resources. Sure. It buys access to everything in life. Those students who are seeking a college education, to be able to provide them with that education, um, we need to pull out all of the stops to try to make it as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with regard to colleges, the decision can't really be made at the national level because of significant regional variability in background rates in the community. And one thing you can expect to see is that the rate of disease on a college campus is going to reflect the burden of disease that is um, coming from the source community from which the students are coming. Right. But colleges, unlike K-12, through have the unique situation that they have a national draw. Uh, so you've got people coming from areas where coronavirus cases are surging and areas where coronavirus cases are relatively under control. I think finding ways to um, support colleges to implement uh, a rigorous testing program, the University of Illinois, Um, was able to come up with a testing program where they um, test a certain proportion of students on a daily basis and on a weekly basis with regular surveillance, not only of symptomatic students. That model is is costly. Smaller colleges can't, can't bear it. Um, Big Ten schools, um, I, you know, they certainly need the support to put that into place to try to screen so that we can rapidly identify where there are outbreaks happening mm. so that those individuals can be quarantined and removed from the community. Yeah. Uh, you know, I also wonder about uh, this question about uh, choice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the choice that athletes have to play it's not a real choice right Mm -mm. i mean no this 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 idea that they have uh some sort of freedom to say well i Mm -hmm. won't play this year the consequences for that for a lot of these athletes are really quite dire 
You know, and that's why I really struggle with this more than I struggle with the NFL decision. Now, I don't think the NFL is making a great decision to return. However, these are professionals who are being paid. Um, I do perceive that they, and I, my perception may be incorrect, but I perceive that they have a choice uh, if they want to forego their salary. I mean, granted, that's not an ideal choice. Um, however, at the collegiate level, I don't see the choice as there. If a student refuses to return to the field, what does that mean? Hmm. Does that mean he loses his scholarship, mm-hmm. that he has to return to his community and his opportunity to um, obtain a, co- a college education and in some cases possibly have been the first in their family to receive one? Right. Does that mean that is all lost? And I think that's where this motif from Gladiator comes up. You know, these are individuals who I don't believe have a choice, and these decisions are being made. I think, you know, the the caller pointed out these decisions are being made by administrators and business people who don't look like the players on the field, which is why it begins to look, the optics of this look very exploitive. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Mercedes Carnathon, it was really great to have you here for this conversation on Detroit Today. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about minority rule in America and how the GOP's rush to confirm a new Supreme Court justice exemplifies that dynamic. We also have breaking news right now about uh, the push to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat on the Supreme Court. Uh, Mitt Romney, a senator from Utah, says he is going to side with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, on filling that seat, which would give Trump all the votes he needs to get his nominee through. So uh, this continues to unfold as a major story in the middle of the campaign and a major story in our country and in our culture. And tomorrow we will talk about the minority status that the GOP holds uh, and the way that it has wielded power from that minority status. You will want to come back for that conversation. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.